I know that there are good people there, but what defines the program now is cowardice. You know, they've chosen the coward's way out. They put Yuval Noah Harari on 60 Minutes. I mean, the man is a psychotic, genocidal lunatic, and you never challenged him. Hey friends, Sean from SGT Report. That of course was Laura Logan. And thanks for tuning in to part two of my interview with Laura, a woman who knows firsthand just how far 60 minutes in the mainstream horror media has fallen. They've sunk to new lows. And how does Laura know? Well, because she used to be on 60 Minutes. So join us for this conversation. We talk about real journalism and 110 billion for Ukraine, the mRNA experimental nanobio jab, and Brunson v. Adams. Before we start, just a quick word about our sponsor. Gold prices could surge to $4,000 an ounce in 2023, and Noble Gold Investments has the details. As recession fears persist, Jorg Keener, chief investment officer of Swiss Asia Capital, said that many economies could face a bit of a recession in the first quarter, which would lead to many central banks slowing their pace of interest rate hikes, making gold instantly more attractive. If 2022 taught us anything at all, it's that tangible assets are the only assets you can count on, like gold. Now, of course, past performance is no guarantee of future results, so do your own due diligence. Thousands of people have started to make a move towards securing their retirement. Join them by opening a gold IRA or silver IRA with Noble Gold Investments. If you get in before the end of this month, you'll get an incredible free quarter ounce American Gold Eagle coin with every qualified IRA of $50,000. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com. It was that Leslie Stahl moment where Trump walked out because her questions were so fallow and empty and just ridiculous and insulting that the man got up and left. And they included that in this promo showing how wonderful and great 60 Minutes is. And they cut to that clip where he's walking out and she says, but sir, I have more questions. And I said to my wife, what absolute gaslighting. (laughs) I just want your reaction on that because I found it appalling. Well, it makes me sad. I have to be honest. It really does make me sad because I did, uh, with my team, we did some absolutely amazing work at 60 Minutes. And so many of the producers and the teams there and the correspondents have done amazing work. I loved Ed Bradley. He was just a great man. And uh, Andy Rooney, you know, I, I had a chance to know Andy Rooney before he died and he shuffled up because Andy was old at that time. He shuffled up to me once I was coming into the building and he stopped me like this and he said, I wish I knew you better. And that was it. And he walked off, you know, and another time I had my son who was a little baby and Andy did the same thing, came up to me and, and he stopped And all the curmudgeon, all that grumpy old man just evaporated. And he said hello to my son, who was the sweetest little baby with his big blue eyes. And I had this great moment with Andy Rooney. And, you you know, you just think about what 60 Minutes has become. And you know that someone like Andy Rooney is, is just rolling in his grave, right? Because what did Andy Rooney do? He was the spirit of outlaw journalism right? Just like I live in the home of outlaw country music. Um, we're just a few minutes from Lukenbach, Texas. And that's Willie Whalen and the boys, you know, Willie Nelson and, and Waylon Jennings. And this was outlaw country because they were the outlaws from that establishment 
of, you know, and they didn't care that they were following the rules. That was the heart and soul of journalism to me, where you didn't do something to please your bosses or to please the corporation or to please the people in power. You know, you followed the facts wherever they went. And sometimes that got uncomfortable and it took you to places that people didn't want you to go. But you did it anyway because the truth mattered more than anything else. And so when, you know, when you take a cheap shot like that, and, and okay, it's TV, so that could be a good moment. And in, and there is some justification for it from that point of view. But what's sad to me is that we all know that Leslie Stoll didn't go into that interview giving Trump a chance. She went in with these questions that were absolutely loaded and biased. Yeah. She cut him off. And did they do that? Did Steve Croft do that to Obama? Did, Steve, did they do that to Hillary no. Clinton? No. And it's fine. Look, when you're interviewing someone, you don't go in there and just, hack away at them, right? I mean, it's a process. You are, you're going, you want them to like you and be willing to talk to you. And you also want them to be honest with you. So you have this, this tightrope that you're walking. It's a balancing act. Now, sometimes you're doing an interview with a complete dirtbag, you know, someone um, who has a particular role in a story and your job is to take them to task. Okay, that's fine. But when you're dealing with the president of a country, when when Tom, what's it, Scott Pelley did his interview with George Bush, he didn't go on Air Force One and grill Bush. I mean, there, there's a million things you could have grilled Bush about, right? And, and he didn't have any adversarial moments in that interview. So I'm not saying that you can't have an adversarial moment in Leslie's interview with, with Trump. But what was just so unfortunate is that, it really was a stupid interview. It wasn't smart. The questions were stupid. They played to the masses. They played to the narratives. It was more propaganda. And, and that was one of those moments that, like the Arizona night on Fox, where you knew, you had to know in your heart that 60 Minutes was never going to do any real reporting ever again. And then when you add to that the glowing profile of the head of the Ford Foundation, which is no different to the Soros Foundation, maybe on a smaller scale, I don't know everything, but they're no different. And you see the glowing profile on Bill Gates and nothing about the thousands of kids who have been crippled from his uh, vaccines oh, in wow. Africa, in South Sudan, in uh, India, the, the girls, the young girls made him fertile. The fact that he was sanctioned by the Indian parliament and, you know, banned from India in, uh, until, well, at least his, his vaccines were until COVID when they managed to undo a lot of that ground. You know, the fact that you, uh, that there's no, there's no real honesty in any of the reporting. There's no, they don't apply the same standard anymore across the board. You know, that's, that is, um, that's pretty nauseating to me. It's, I've gone through a gambit of emotions. There's the outrage, there's the disappointment, there's the uh, sense of betrayal, there's the disbelief, there's, of course, in the beginning, you're surprised and you're shocked and all of that. But now I'm just left with, I know that there are good people there, but what defines the program now is cowardice. You know, they've chosen the coward's way out. They put Yuval Noah Harari on 60 Minutes. Hmm. I mean, the man is a psychotic, genocidal lunatic. And you never challenged him. You know, and you never went back. Even if there were things that you didn't know at the time that you now know, you never went back. Because, because this man is right at the heart of some of the most profound and disturbing things happening. When this guy talks about the most of the continent of Africa and most of the continent of India becoming useless eaters whose lives have no value and no worth, those are the words of, uh, of genocide. Mm -hmm. 
right? Those are the words of mass killers. And you don't care that you help to elevate this person on your show. You don't feel any responsibility to going back and doing more honest reporting. And, um, and then the shameful reporting on DeSantis, where, you know, they tried to make out like it was all about racism, that he was trying to prevent uh, minority people from getting the vaccine. First of all, you'd be doing them a favor if you prevented them from getting the COVID shots. But that aside, um, when, you know, putting that he put these mobile clinics uh, too far away from disadvantaged poor neighborhoods and, um, you know, it, it, with publics, I think it was right with doing this deal with publics or not doing the deal with publics, whatever it was, right. they measured the distance from the neighborhoods and blah, blah, blah. But they didn't say that there were these mobile centers that you could get vaccinated at, you know, um, if you wanted to. And so that was fundamentally dishonest. And um, it's just, you know, one example after another, it, what, what unfortunately the show lacks today is any real courage. And then one of the most egregious things of all, you know, was the CISA guy. I mean, wow. I just, I, to use your platform as 60 Minutes, to take this guy from CISA, who was a complete political stooge. There was no indication or evidence that there was any sort of hacking or compromise of election uh, systems on, before, or after November 3rd. Right, and use him and not reveal that the very same voting companies that uh, were uh, certifying this as the most secure election in history. I mean, that these were the same people that they were sitting on the sister advisory council, not peeling back those layers and doing any real investigative journalism and doing any real honest journalism and not having any integrity or courage in, in your reporting, just willing to be part of this. I understand the pressure, you know, this is a big story and you've got the guy, this is, this declaration was the, uh, was the death knell right for many of the efforts to get to the truth of what happened in 2020 in that moment it was critical and decisive and you knew every journalist there every producer there the people in charge they all knew that that's what they were doing and they crushed that movement in that moment and with a with a declaration that was 100 percent dishonest and factually incorrect and there was every journalistic means was available to you to verify that or at least to ask the question and to, and, um, and to raise the issues that cast out on that and put it in a more honest light. And they didn't do that. That was how many Arizona moments do you need with 60 Minutes to realize and understand that in spite of the many great things that they've done over the years and that they still do, that they have become little more than a mouthpiece. Yeah, for, captured uh, entity. Yes, it's very, it's, it's heartbreaking to me. Well, it is. And you say in the good things they still do. I don't know. I might debate you on that. I can't remember the last time I saw a good, honest, actual journalistic 60 minutes episode. But the good news is the veil is I being concede. lifted. I concede. I'll be honest. I don't watch the show. You're being polite. You're being now. polite. And I would expect that from somebody you, you, <laughs> you used to love the place. So I don't blame you a bit. But the veil is being lifted and people are starting to see how captured 60 minutes in the mainstream media is. And by the way, I'm old and, and I and I used to respect so many people there. Right. I and I, I yeah. have people I care about and love that are still there. Yeah. And so I want to be respectful. I know how hard uh, they work. And I know how hard it is uh, to produce, you know, something of quality at that level. It's just unfortunate that that quality now has become a vessel for propaganda and deceit. And honestly, above all else, cowardice. Well, that's right. Because that's Le Leslie Stahl clearly had an agenda. 
in that yes. interview with Trump. She wasn't being a neutral journalist. And so, by the way, I would. And, and, and sorry to interrupt you, but just so you know, because people could never know this. Years ago, my boss there said to me when he was talking to me about my interviews, he, he said to me, you know, you don't want to be like Leslie, mm -hmm. right? Because like Leslie, everybody knows what she thinks going in. She's made her mind up. And when she does these interviews, her position is so clear that if you agree with her, it's great. Um, but if you don't, then it shuts you out. He said, take a look rather at Ed Bradley. He mm -hmm. said, Ed can ask anybody absolutely anything. And he never forces the audience to pick a side before they've heard the answer. And he said, to, and you know, he said, what is your goal? I said, I want to reach as many people as possible. I don't want to shut anybody out. I don't want to make it. My mind is not made up before I hear the answer. So I don't want people to think that. And I want to hear the answer. And he said, well, then go and look at some of Ed's interviews, which I, I did do. And I'd always loved Ed Bradley. And, and, I, and that's when, you know, we would have this, I, I started doing something after that, which became an inside joke with my team. Because in Afghanistan, where I did a lot of reporting, there is a, an extraordinary amount of domestic violence. And so one of the things that I would do is I would say to many of the Afghan men that I interviewed, sometimes to entire tribal gatherings, uh, you know, so tell me, you know, minister, do you beat your wife? And I, and I would say, okay, uh, you know, to all the shakes here, I have one more question for you. Do you beat your wife? Do you beat your wife? And you see, instead of saying, do you beat your wife? Do you beat your wife? Do you see what I'm pounding you and you already know my position? I'm just saying, well, tell me, I want to know, do you beat your wife? Mm -hmm. And now you'd be amazed. I had an entire tribal gathering in the Pesh Valley of, of uh, tribal leaders who all said, yes, I beat my wife. And some of them held up the sticks in their hands and said, I beat her with this stick. And the entire thing erupted. And of course, the young Bernie Bergeray captain who was with me at the time said, when I said you want to ask any questions, that wasn't the question I had in mind, you know, and uh, and we laughed. But but they were happy to answer the question because it was asked in a way that they felt I was receptive to and willing to hear the answer. And um, and I, I know I'm uh, going long on this, but I do want people to understand I'm not taking a political position on Leslie Stoll, even if it seems to you that I am. What I'm telling you is that what Leslie did in that interview with Trump is she didn't go in in a way, asking her questions in a way that allowed anyone to listen to the answer. You knew her opinion. And that's not the standard that we applied at 60 Minutes. That wasn't the goal. That wasn't the standard that every journalist is supposed to aspire to, right? You don't just want everyone to agree with you. You want people to hear the answer and make up their own minds. That's what I always tried to do. And now, of course, if someone is giving you uh, a nonsense answer or they're not answering your question, that's when you know Mike Wallace made it really famous. He would say, come on, right? And I, I always, I didn't have a device like that. I just wasn't good at that. But but he was, he was able to be skeptical and still do it in a way that allowed the person to, 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 to answer respond. the comeback. Right. Yes, to respond. And so what are you doing all the time that you're doing this? You're getting more and more and more out of the person that you're interviewing. And that is the point. Why did I take the time to sit down with you? Because I want to know and I want to understand. And if we want this to be superficial, well, then just go and watch, you know, just go and watch CNN or, you know, Fox News or MSNBC in the daytime. Well, that's right. 60 Minutes is supposed to be the gold standard.
And so you've triggered my memory of that interview with uh, Leslie Stahl because it was Donald Trump who said to her, Leslie, they spied on my campaign. And instead of her saying, sir, that's ridiculous, but tell me, why would you believe that? She says, no, no, they didn't. The biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my campaign. There's no real evidence of that. Of course there is. It's all over the place. Leslie, they spied on my campaign and they got caught. Can I say something? You know, this is 60 Minutes. No, sir, there's no evidence of that at all. Like, she wasn't having a conversation. She was just blatantly sharing her opinion and her agenda, which is why he got so offended and left. And I was offended watching it as a viewer. It's offensive. It's not journalism at all. And so that's what we get in Upside Down World. By the way, I'm old enough to remember Andy Rooney. They'd give him two, three minutes at the end of every segment to speak his mind. We don't see that anymore. So we don't get Andy Rooney. We don't get Laura Logan, but we get Anderson Cooper. Welcome to the brave new world. Well, and, you know, I'm so glad you pointed out that example, because here's another part of it. As a journalist, one of the most valuable lessons I learned is to be conscious of what I don't know. And what happened in that interview, Leslie still had no basis for being definitive about what she said on that point, because look at what we now know. They've admitted they were spying on the Trump campaign. Right. Right. And so. What you say then is exactly something like you said. You can say, well, you know, so far, we haven't seen any evidence of that. A lot of people don't believe you. Why should we believe you? And let him talk, right? I mean, if you feel strongly that that's the case. Or you can, you you know, you, you just, in being conscious of what you don't know, you, uh, you do a service to your audience and to your own reporting. And then... Not, you know, because you're leaving the door open, right? You have to be conscious of what you don't know. But what I would say to you is even at that point, there is no excuse for 60 Minutes buying into the lie that the Trump campaign wasn't being spied upon because there was enough evidence at that point even for them to know the truth, but they didn't want to know it. They didn't want to confront it. Just like, you know, I this is another Arizona mo- Fox Arizona moment for me. When General McMaster was National Security Advisor at the time and Trump had that meeting with the Russians in the White House. And you remember the headlines. People can Google it. They won't have any trouble finding it. It was all the headlines were about Trump has leaked classified information to the Russians. Mm. There was, you know, the purpose of that story was to build a false narrative that there was some kind of special relationship between Trump and the Russians that had got him elected and that he was now selling out America's soul to the Russians, right? And they created something out of nothing. How do I know that? Because the act of speaking for a president, any president of the United States, is by law an act of declassification. As the commander in chief, he is the only, the president is the only single person alive on the planet who through the act of speaking can carry out an act of declassification. So whatever Trump says or Reagan or any other president, as they say it, it is declassified by law. So you cannot leak classified information if you are the president. Nobody said that in their reporting. And the all you had to do to figure that out was to look at the law and what it says about how information is classified. It's only classified one of two ways, one or declassified, classified or declassified by the originating authority, right? So the originating, if it, if it originates with the CIA or the DIA or the NSA or the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Organization or the National Geospatial Agency and so on, if they are the source of that information, they are the classification authority and they determine the class, the level of classification. 
If you want to use that, say you send that to the State Department, Hillary Clinton wants to use that information, but she just wants this paragraph or she wants the whole document. It doesn't matter. They have to apply in writing to that organization. They then, as the originating authority, have to agree and they have to reissue that information to the State Department here. Here's your declassified paragraph or whatever, or your downgraded classification, whatever it is that was requested, if it was approved or alternatively, if it was denied. The only other way to declassify anything is if the commander in chief, you know, and then as through this act of declassification, you either go through the legal process that is relevant to that agency or you go through the commander in chief. So every single news outlet that reported that Trump had broken the law and leaked classified information was fundamentally 100% inaccurate. And there's no excuse for not knowing that because all of us can look up the laws and speak to people about how information is classified and declassified. And that's just a fact. So that was the moment for me when I realized, okay, none of these journalists, none of these organizations have any interest in the truth because there's nothing easier than figuring out how information is classified and declassified. I already knew it because of the Hillary Clinton thing, because what did they do? They came out and they said, oh, there was nothing classified in her inbox. Well, that was a lie. Then they came out later and said, oh, it was classification gone amok, that the things that were classified were uh, overclassified and they should never have been classified that way. What they were referring to was only information supplied by the State Department, because only the State Department they only have control, they only have the ability to classify and declassify information they generate. Yes, as the originating authority, that is with their power. But they can't take NSA documents or CIA documents and determine classification levels or change classification levels. So when they said that, they weren't lying about what they had declassified, uh, right? Because they said, oh, that was that should never have been classified in the first place, right? <clears throat> what... <clears throat> What they said was that should never have been classified in the first place. That that could only apply to, to information from the State Department. When it came to the National Geospatial Agency, which Hillary Clinton did have in her email server, and when it came to things from the NSA and so on and these other agencies, that was a complete lie. But journalists, again, didn't do their job and didn't know enough, know enough to be able to say to the Clinton campaign spokesperson, but wait a minute, that doesn't apply to the NRO. That doesn't apply to the NSA. You're only talking about the State Department information. What about these other emails that the Inspector General confirmed that she had in her survey? And by the way, by the way, every time you sit down at your desk in the United States government, if you have access to secret information and you have access to declass, I mean, to classified information and to unclassified, guess what? You have two servers. You have two computers. They're not even allowed by law to be on one server. So did any journalist ask how many servers Hillary Clinton had? Did they ask that question? Hmm. They only ever talked about one server. Nobody ever said that Hillary Clinton had more than one server. So just the fact that she had her declassified system and her classified system on the same server was a, a violation of law. And once again, you know, I didn't follow this because I hate Hillary Clinton or because I'm some right wing lunatic. I followed it because I wanted to know the truth. And no, I wasn't a, a fan of Hillary Clinton after she put her attack dogs in Media Matters for America on me to attack my Benghazi reporting and try to destroy my life and make me unemployable. So, no, I wasn't a fan. But if she was telling the truth, I would have gone with that because I care more about the truth than anything else. I don't want I don't want my doctor to tell me I don't have cancer when I do. When I had cancer, I didn't want him to lie to me. 
I didn't like the truth. Didn't want to live with it. Didn't want to deal with it. But I'd rather have a fighting chance, right? Because I'm a fighter. And, and I like to know where I stand. And as long as we are illusions, are suffering under illusions and deceived, we cannot begin to address any of this. And we cannot have the right strategy to address it. You know, out of an abundance of respect for you and all the time you've given us, I had three more topics to talk to you about. Let me just let ask me try. if you'd, let you me ask if you'd let pick me one. Let me ask okay. if you'd pick one, though. So we'll go in reverse order here. I'll read the topics and then you decide which one we should talk about. So uh, $110 billion for Ukraine via four emergency aid packages passed by the criminal U.S. Congress. That's one subject. The other subject I wanted to mention is the mRNA experimental nanobiojab aka COVID-19 vaccine, and the on-field collapse, cardiac arrest of NFL Buffalo Bills safety, Damar Hamlin. But then the other topic is Brunson v. Adams and the idea that 388 of these federal mm-hmm. officers committed treason on the evening of January 6th. So to me, the real insurrection on January 6th, 2020, was the treason committed by these vipers who would not hear the evidence from 100 people in our government that wanted to share the evidence of a stolen election. So which one of those should we talk about? Ukraine, the mRNA vax, and uh, the collapse of Damar Hamlin, or Brunson v. Adams and trying to take our nation back? I'm going to make, I know people won't believe this, but I'm going to make one critical point on each of those things, and I'm going to go in reverse order, okay? okay? If you start with Brunson, what worries me about Brunson is when you see a remedy, right? Because the remedy is, to the Brunson case is if they rule in favor of that, then every one of those uh, congressmen and women who committed treason has to be removed. So what you're talking about is a drastic solution, right? I don't, I have not witnessed anything in recent memory that tells me that the Supreme Court has the courage to carry out a drastic solution. So what I then become concerned about is hopium. It's not that the case isn't valid. It's not necessarily that it's right or it's wrong. It's that I just look at that and the hype around it. And I think that the chances that the Supreme Court is going to have the courage to get rid of the whole of Congress and uphold this law, if it is, if that is the right thing to do, are zero. So uh, to me, that leads us to a much more fundamental point to address that of where we are in this country, that justices all the way up to the Supreme Court are not following the law, right? They're not following the law anymore. They're following, they're applying the law politically. And that is a breakdown of the justice system as a whole. That is a breakdown of the separation of powers. That is a breakdown of the Republic because those things protect the Republic. So it becomes much more fundamental to me. And I, And I have to say, I do 100% that the real insurrection on January 6th actually was carried out by Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi working together. This is one of those issues that exposes the unit party where they work together to prevent, to prevent the, uh, the, you know, the, the congressmen, whatever you want to call it, this rebellious caucus in Congress, these congressmen who wanted to raise the issue of the questions over the 2020 election and send it back to the states, right? There were enough questions in enough counties, in enough states, and there was enough congressional support for this to be raised on January 6th and to force Congress 
and to take a position on it and send it back to the states for I get I forget how many days it is I think it's 100 days and address those questions and the only thing that did not happen on January 6 because of the way events unfolded was that so the real goal of January 6 yes it was to to silence and intimidate and persecute the american people because the american people voted trump into power and they were always the target so it was 100% designed to do that. But most importantly, what did they have to stop? They had to stop that issue of fraud and the issues of the states and that rule ever being raised because they couldn't have, they could not have voted against it and gotten away with it. It would have exposed them just like they're being exposed, they've been exposed since. We didn't really know where Liz, you know, how much of a, of a traitor Liz Cheney was before all of this unfolded with Trump, right? We didn't know before January 6th that she would willingly participate in the persecution of American citizens and political prisoners and that she would back them being held in solitary confinement without ever being convicted of a crime, without exercising any of their uh, rights to, you know, a free and fair investigation and a free and um, innocent until proven guilty, habeas corpus, and so on and so on and so on. We didn't really know the degree to which these people would go to to betray the American people until all of this was exposed. So, so um, that is my point. My 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 single and main point on January about January six and the Brunson case is that it is one hundred percent. Those events were designed to prevent this issue of vote forward from being exposed and following the law and following the Constitution and going back to the states. And that was the real insurrection. And and I. I have serious doubts. I could be completely wrong, but we have seen nothing from the Supreme Court that indicates to me that they are not going to make a political decision and be a bunch of cowards. And then uh, to your uh, to your other point about um, the Jamar Hamlin. Yes. You said something brilliant. I jotted this down just to jog your memory before we hit record. You said the Damar Hamlin incident really reveals the tactics of censorship and oppression of the truth. Friends, just a real quick break and a word about our sponsor. Noble Gold Investments wants to let you know that gold was the best investment class for 2022. Now, of course, past performance is no guarantee of future results, so do your own due diligence. According to longtermtrends.net, gold actually outperformed the S&P, the Dow, and Bitcoin in 2022. So what are you waiting for? Open a gold IRA or silver IRA with Noble Gold Investments this month and receive a free one quarter ounce American Gold Eagle coin with every qualified IRA of $50,000 or more. You can't go wrong with Noble Gold Investments and their thousands of five star reviews. Just visit noblegoldinvestments.com. Yes, because years ago I learned um, that the, uh, the Democrat narrative, the leftist narrative, the progressive narrative, in this country, the people, the propagandists and the political operatives behind that realized and decided, they made a decision that emotion was the most powerful motivator and convinces people, right? So that they they decided to structure all of their campaigns and all of their policy arguments in emotional terms. And so what, what, what happened with Damar Hellman, the moment this happened, right? Of course, people raise the question about the COVID shot because we are living in a time where over a thousand athletes across the world are dropping dead in the middle of games. And we have not witnessed this before. That's just a fact. And so, so it's, uh, 
it stands to reason when you see something happen that you've never seen happen before. You look to decide, well, what has changed? Why are football players dropping dead on, on the, the field? Why are tennis players dropping on the tennis court? Why, you know, why is this happening? What is different, right? What do they have in common and what has changed? Well, obviously the COVID shots is what they have in common and that's what's changed. And so it's a legitimate question to raise. But the immediate thing that happened was everybody said, oh, no, no, all the people who every time there's a mass shooting want to use the emotion of the moment to to discuss gun control, right, and to introduce gun control measures and to capitalize all of the people who want to capitalize and exploit the emotion of the moment in order to advance their political agenda were the same people saying, you this, this is this bad taste you can't ask questions like this you can't ask the obvious question about the vaccines because this is bad taste you know what about the poor family well let me tell you every time there's a terrorist bombing you know uh, you think that the families of the victims want to hear the conversations that are on television you think you know when steve scalise was shot that his family wanted to hear what was said on television i'll tell you i'm friends i'm close friends of Michael Buble. You think when his son was injured because they pulled a pot of hot water onto it that he wanted to listen to people on the morning show on ABC talking about what, whether or not he and his wife were terrible parents? There's a lot of things that people, when you're the, at the center of a news story that are very difficult for you to hear about, when your daughter is murdered, do you want to turn on the television and see reports about the, 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 the hunt for her murderer? You know, no, you don't want to be reminded of these things. It's very difficult. So, I mean, of course... Uh, we have that, but but it was the hypocrisy reveals truth to us. So when people are being hypocritical, so the same people who want to talk about gun control when the when your children are still bleeding out in Uvalde or you know um, uh, other places, those are the same people who say it's it's in bad taste in the emotion of the moment to discuss what could be the possible causes. You have no right to do that. Well, that hypocrisy tells you everything that you need to know, that this is a tactic of information warfare manipulation. And I'm just not going to uh, I don't want to uh, I don't want to hurt anyone ever. I don't want to hurt and Damar Hamlin's family. I don't want to be insensitive. That's not who I am as a person. I'm a very respectful person. So I, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon. But if you're talking about the principle of when you're allowed to discuss something when you're not, well, now that's a whole another subjective conversation. And I'm not going to fall for that because this is the same tactic. If you look, I have a document that was sent to me in the wake of uh, the Parkland shooting. And it was being handed out to the kids at Parkland High School. And it is exactly this narrative. It was written in 2012, so years before. It's the same playbook that's still being used. They tell people, don't talk about the Second Amendment because that's an argument you can't win. You know, don't do this, don't do that. Talk only, focus on the emotion. Yeah. Focus on the child that you saw dying in front of you if you're a survivor. Focus on the parent that's lost their, their child. Focus on the emotional side of the argument because that is where we're going to win. And on the substance of the argument, when it comes to the right to bear arms and the founding fathers and the principle of the government not being the only entity that is able uh, to have and hold arms so that you can defend yourselves as people, well, we don't want to talk about any of those because they know they're going to lose. They're going to lose that argument. And so that's what I would say to you about the Damara Hamlin case is that as uncomfortable as it might be, for them to say that no one has the right to ask those questions is a fundamental violation of the right to speak free speech and the Constitution of the United States. And they know that. 
because they use these tactics themselves. Hey, before you move on to Ukraine, just real quick, do you mind if I play a quick clip? This is very, very brief. This is from a doctor on YouTube with the blue check mark, right? He gets to be on YouTube. He gets acknowledged for having the check mark by Susan Wojcicki over there at YouTube. I've long since been kicked off of YouTube thanks to Media Matters for America. Let me play this clip. You're better off not being on there. They traffic kids on there. Well, amen. And by the way, BitChute and Rumble, thank you for providing me with a platform. So listen to what this man has to say. A medical doctor. This is on the evening of the collapse of Damar Hamlin. And I'd like to know how he knows this with such certainty. Listen to this. What we just witnessed tonight is one of the most rare things we can see in sports medicine. As Damar Hamlin went down with what appeared to be cardiac arrest after taking this hit on the field. What we saw happen tonight is not related to any sort of vaccines. This is almost certainly something called commotio cordis. By the way, I've since heard that pronounced commotio cordis, but uh, how would he know that? I mean, give me a break, Laura. He wouldn't. He wouldn't know that. He would never. Okay. So just the way that you can't say with absolute certainty, if you're not the doctor in there treating this patient, you cannot be certain this was the vaccine. You cannot be, you also, the same principle, the same standard applies. You cannot be certain that it is this rare condition. He cannot state that with absolute certainty. And then, by the way, also sneak in there almost, uh, uh, you know, certainly. Because you're stating in definitive terms that it's not the vaccine and it is this. And then you're saying it's almost certainly this. So you want to have it both ways. And, and once again, this comes back to the fundamental principle that I just discussed, which is the unknowable. If you are not the doctor treating this person, it is unknowable to you. You can have an idea. You can say, look, you want to know my analysis? Okay, I'm going to give you my analysis. We've had more athletes dying of, uh, of, uh, from you know, myocarditis and dropping dead. Right. They're all, every single one of them has been vaccinated, as far as we know. Well, the vast majority of them have been vaccinated as far as we know, right? And all of their teams have insisted on vaccination. So it's reasonable to conclude that there's a greater chance they've been vaccinated than not. And we know that this didn't happen before. We know statistically that there, given these numbers, the chances of this being the vaccine is greater than the chances of this being this rare disease. Um, then I'm going to tell you that as a professional, I'm leaning in this direction, but this is my personal opinion based on what I see. And until we know, right, until we read that autopsy report or, you know, unless I'm standing in that room and I'm the one treating this patient, it's really unknowable. That's the honest answer. You know, the best example of that? Benghazi. When all those generals that were testifying said, you know, when they were asked, well, what if you'd flown, uh, you know, jets overhead and so that they could have heard them? Or what if you'd had, you know, dropped a bomb from a drone? Oh, that wouldn't have changed anything. How do you know? It's unknowable. You didn't fly it. You didn't take that action. You cannot be certain of the outcome because it didn't happen. You can say, well, in my experience, you know, given what I know about Livia, given these things that happened that night, I don't believe that that would have made a difference. But you don't know, General, do you? Because you never did it. Right. And by the way, that doctor offends me as much as Leslie Stahl's questioning of Trump, because what he's not sharing with his audience is 93 percent of NFL players were vaxxed because of the NFL mandate to get the vax, which the NFL is now trying to back away from. But I remember it very clearly. It was a big deal as they threw Aaron Rodgers under the bus and said that he was a selfish player and really tried to destroy his character yes. because he didn't want to take the experimental vaccine. The Vikings offensive line coach, Rick Dennison, was fired for refusing to take the COVID-19 vax. So that's the part. And that's and the part of the story that that's not being told about. by the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. It's being covered up. 
Yes, because the other way that you can be deceptive and dishonest, when you remember, we're in a narrative wall, right? So when you create a false narrative, you cannot have all the context that exposes the false narrative. And that's what you're talking about. This is what I mean about the patterns of information warfare that are being exposed, right? Is that here is another pattern. When you find out that there is very relevant, very easily accessible information that that alters uh, what, what people are saying, that gives you the ability to evaluate what they're saying in a different light and in a more honest and accurate light, then that is another form of deception. And so, you know, you'll often hear people say when they defend the uh, reporting something that's dishonest, oh, but everything in our report is accurate. Well, it may be accurate, but um, it may not be the whole truth. Yeah, true, and yeah. when you, you may take one part of a story that is uh, real, let's see what they did to me with my Benghazi reporting. They said that the guy that uh, whose uh, account was questioned, they said he lied about everything. No, he didn't. He, there were two things he said that were called into question. No one ever proved that he lied. Nobody, not even us. I wasn't given the opportunity to prove that. I, I was given the opportunity to go on television and apologize. And then, you know, beyond that, I was not given any other options. So, uh, um, so what you have here is you have them removing all the info. They removed the story so nobody could watch it. And they couldn't see that this guy wasn't lying about anything else. And they couldn't see that no one had proved that he uh, actually lied. He might have been lying. I'm not saying that of those two things called into question that they were true. I'm saying we don't know. And that's a problem. It is a problem. And that would still have had to be addressed. But what everyone reported was that he lied about everything that he was the only person in the story and so on and so on. And actually he wasn't the only person. So he was the least important person. So now you've taken the least important person, you've made him the most important, right? And you are altering people's understanding of what happened in that situation. You're deceiving them. You're lying by omission. That's what I wrote and, down. They lie by yes. omission and they love to bear false witness. They just love Correct. it all day long. That's what they did to Trump all day long. Bear false witness because, against their neighbor. Because there's no accountability. They bear, if there was accountability, if there were consequences for bearing false witness, they would not do it. It would not happen. That's right. All right. Hey, I know I've taken too much of your time. 110 no, billion for Ukraine. I, you're the, you're the best. One. $110 billion dollars for Ukraine. Last no, time I checked, that was real money. And that's yes. a lot of money, Laura. And meanwhile, the southern border is wide open. So, Yes. And um, Ukraine is very important to talk about because they are still taking our tax dollars and sending them over there because you have uh, somebody like President Zelensky, who is a true bad actor, literally was an actor, actually, in a show where he played a president was plucked from that show by the people who chose to put him in office. Right. Because we have selections and not elections. And uh, and it's really, you know, something that uh, General uh, Flynn told me recently that he pointed out, which was which was important, I think, uh, to remember, is that Ukraine was the number one country in the world for the trafficking of young boys and young girls long before this war broke out and became cast as a left versus right thing or a Democrat versus Republican thing. When the Soviet Union fell, people flocked to Ukraine to go and have sex with young boys and have sex with young girls. This has long been one of the number one trafficking destinations in the world. This has been the place where oligarchs and criminals and organized crime 
um, concentrated. And Ukraine's, Ukraine's corruption problem preceded the Clinton administration and the Bush administration, the Obama administration and Biden and all the rest of it. There's a long history there of Nazism that preceded the, the current political dynamic. And so it's really extraordinary to me that they want to lie about and pretend that there are no Nazis in Ukraine. You know, it, they, they jumped up and down when Putin said that he was going to rid Ukraine of its Nazis. But a short time ago, the BBC, NBC, Al Jazeera, all of these uh, organizations that have a very leftist worldview, they were the ones reporting on the Nazis of Ukraine. You know, and they can't erase this history that goes back, um, you know, even to the Second World War. When Ukraine was, after Ukraine was invaded by the Nazis, it became the headquarters of the SS. Western Ukraine was the headquarters of the Nazi SS. Yes, there were hundreds of thousands of Jews in Ukraine who were brutally massacred and murdered, right? It was an absolute unforgivable atrocity. But why do we pretend that Ukraine's Nazis were not involved in the killings, that they weren't the ones putting people in the ground and bashing people's skulls in and murdering Jewish women and children. Ukraine's Nazis were involved in that. Why do we just now want to erase the fact that the head of the CIA, um, Dallas, you know, uh, I can't remember the first his name, it escapes my mind. I think it's Anthony Alan, Dallas. Alan Dallas. Alan Dallas, thank you. That's right. Alan Dallas, why do we want to pretend that Alan Dallas didn't protect Ukraine's Nazis from the Nuremberg trials? And he didn't act alone. Alan Dallas did not act alone. And go to Operation Paperclip. Go to the finder's documents that have been released and declassified. And you will be able to read, read as I have done, the email communications and, and uh, reports, military reports and CIA reports that literally discuss giving amnesty and refuge and safe passage to the Nazis. Um, this is a real thing that we did in the wake of the Second World War. The, the, you know, the blood wasn't dry on the bodies, some of the bodies. They weren't even cold and rotting in the ground before we were giving the killers safe haven. Why did we do that? And why is there no curiosity from anyone in the media or the Jewish community to ask these questions? Why did we take the head of Nazi intelligence and bring them to the United States and put this person in the position to be one of the architects of the CIA? Why did we put them in insensitive intelligence positions, give them safe haven, give them safe passage? Why did the Red Cross provide them with passports? Red Cross isn't a government. Why did we cover up their crimes and give them immunity? And why did we do this in Ukraine? And when you talk about the Nazis of Ukraine and the Azov Battalion and all these people, they're not neo-Nazis. They're not some bastardized version of the Nazis that grew up in later. They are the Nazis. They believe the same things that the Nazis of Ukraine in the Second World War believed. Right. And they have the, they have the same values, the same worldview, and they're heading in the same direction. So these are critical parts in our history that inform us. And we need to know from our leaders why we are funding Nazis in Ukraine when supposedly, you know, Nazis are the scourge of the earth. And we're putting people behind bars because they voted for Donald Trump, who we say uh, is like Hitler and reminds us of the Nazis. So if you remind us of the Nazis, you go to prison in America. Right. But if you are an actual Nazi in Ukraine, you get weapons and you get U.S. tax dollars and you get aid and support from the Western world. And and we don't want to have these conversations. And it's, it's critical to, for us to to look at the truth. Ukraine is not a country. 
So don't believe people who say it's a country. Does it have a national identity? Of course it does, but it's a territory. And this matters because the United States is still subject to international law. And we can't just send over Patriot missile batteries. So what do we do? Because we would that would be a declaration of war. And we have, an, we have a process for sanctioning war, a legal process, and we haven't gone through that. So this is why they're training the Ukrainians on how to use Patriot missile batteries, right? That they want to put on the ground there. Because there are actual real laws of war that we have, uh, in, in, you know, may have violated, but we don't have the journalistic curiosity or the courage anymore to investigate these things. And you're one person, I'm one person. We don't have teams of people behind us, right? We don't have huge um, news desks and, and bureaus all over the world and all the things that I used to have and teams of people working with me at 60 Minutes where I can investigate all of these things. And they're hidden behind layers and layers and layers of deception. But so for people out there who've got Ukrainian flags on their Twitter handle and all this nonsense, right? They, um, it's, it's not hard to find the truth on Ukraine and to find Ukrainians who will talk about their villages being shelled by their own forces. And, and I mean, of all the wars that we have ever been involved in, there's never been a more urgent need than there is right now to understand the truth about it. You know, I can't thank you enough for your time. I promise you, if you ever come on again, I will not take nearly two hours of your time. But uh, you you got the word right. We need journalists with courage, and there's precious few of them. Tucker Carlson may be at the top of the list along with you. How do people follow you? Is it Truth Social and Locals? Is that the best way? I know you're on Twitter. Yes, I went. I took myself off Twitter because um, of the them trafficking kids. But I went back on after. That Elon Musk took down those handles. And I'm not, you know, I may stay on there, I may not, I don't know. But I'm on Twitter, I'm on Truth Social, I'm on Locals. And um, and I'm working on establishing my show that I did on Fox Nation, which was a long form version of 60 Minutes of what I did there. I'm, I'm going to do that on my own independently. And so uh, we're busy building that website and raising the investor funds for that. And people will be able to find that on lauralogan.com. It's not there yet. Okay, lauralogan.com. Laura, thank you so much for your time. I really, really very much appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you so much. And friends, thank you for tuning in. As always, a special thank you to our subscribe stars. And friends, thank you for visiting us directly every single day for the real news, the antidote to corporate propaganda at sgtreport.com. May God bless you and your family in 2023. Bye-bye. And so if you can go into someone's genetic code using CRISPR technology and you can remove that gene, then you have a compliant population.